About three or four weeks ago, I spoke for three days to our Florence Christian School and uh, high school kids, and I spoke to them on the subject of God Himself, pure theology, the character, the nature, the essence of God, thinking that that would be probably the most important thing that I could uh, share with them at this time. And so, after preaching on that for three days, I worked on a little more, changed it up a little bit, and made it into three messages to preach on three Sunday mornings, a three-week series here. So today we come to the last of that series. And I would like for you to turn in your Bible with me to Psalm 115 as I speak on the infinite personal God. I spoke two weeks ago on the nature of God Himself, the essence of God. And then last week, We looked at the idea of the evidence for God, the evidence for God. How do we know there's a God? And I gave you some of the classic evidences of it. Now today, the infinite personal God, we're going to talk about Him personally today. And would you stand with me, Psalm 115 in your Bible? Then if you'd like to turn over to Jeremiah 10, We're going to read a few verses there as well. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. What an important statement. I've written in my Bible beside that verse, sovereignty. That's God's sovereignty. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither do they speak through their throat. They that make them are likened to them, and so is everyone that trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord hath been mindful of us. What a great promise. The Lord is mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. You're blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. But the earth hath he given to the children of men. Now look at that verse. The earth has he given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Then we go to the book of Jeremiah, uh, page 787. If you have the same Bible, I do. (laughs) Okay. Jeremiah chapter number 10. 
And we look in verse 10, the Lord is the true God. See, all of these verses are describing God in detail. He is the true God. He is the living God. He is the everlasting King. At His wrath, the earth shall tremble, and the nations shall not be able to abide His indignation. Thus shall you say unto them, the gods that have made the heavens and the earth, even they that have not made the heavens and the earth, they shall perish from the earth and from these heavens. But He that made the earth, note by His power, He hath established the world, and by His wisdom, he hath stretched out the heavens by his discretion. And if you'll go down with me to verse 16, the portion of Jacob, that's a reference to God, is not like them. And he is the former of all things. What a great phrase. The former of all things. Whatever you can think of, he was before that. He's the former of everything. And Israel is the rod of his inheritance and the Lord of hosts is His name. Thank you, and you may be seated. A.W. <clears throat> Tozer was a very well-known theologian in America, pastor in Chicago, and he made this statement, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, I've quoted that each week, and I've done it purposefully because I think it is such a truth. What you think about when you think about God is no doubt the most important thing about you. Mortimer Adler, who was a theologian and a philosopher, not of our particular persuasion, but he said, there are more consequences for thought and action regarding whether you believe in or deny God than from answering any other basic question of life. And it is so true that your view of God will be exposed when the pressures of life come. Your view, what you think about God, whether you will, will talk about it now or not, it will be exposed when the pressures of life come upon you. It was said about the Romans that they never found a stream over which they didn't attempt to build a bridge. They were bridge builders and road builders. And in modern times, people used those bridges for hundreds and even a couple of thousand years in many places. But in modern times, they would put heavy modern machinery on those bridges and they would collapse the bridges would cave in under the weight of modern vehicles. And I think that's such a good illustration to us about our faith and our belief in God. You see, I think a lot of people have a bridge over when the pressures of life come, it'll cave in. It won't handle the weight of the pressures that you may feel. But if your view of God is correct, it will bear up under those pressures. A famous man said, it's more important that you know God than that you know about God. It's more important that you know God than that you know about God. 
I can't teach you to know God. I can tell you about God. And I will do it at the best of my ability, hoping that you will take the knowledge that I have researched and that I share with you today, that you will take that knowledge of God and that you will apply it, appropriate it, and that you will come to know God. Obviously, you have to know something about Him before you can know Him. But my fear as a pastor is that so many people have been under my ministry, and they know a lot about God, but the question is, do they know God? I want you to know the Lord. That was Paul's prayer, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and he went on telling about why it's important to know God. Now, I want you to know two things about Him today, you, and, and, and this is an impossible task that I've taken on here, because you see, I cannot describe to you God in all of His glory and in all of His infinitude. I can only attempt to do it. I feel like the little leaguer batting in the World Series. I'm overwhelmed. I can't begin to tell you the greatness of God today. So I tried to take all these attributes, which I've preached on many, many times, and boil them down And I'm only going to make two points about God, but I I would like for you to walk away with a real strong, firm knowledge of those two points, because I think those two, two points, if you really get them, those two things about God sum up as best I can do it. You're what you need to know about the Lord, the infinite personal God. And so that's my point right there in the title. Number one, I want you to remember today that God is infinite. He is infinite. And for the older people, when I was in school, they didn't teach me about a number line. But all the young people understand number lines today. They kind of changed the way they taught math. And so there's a number line. And you know what? You can always add one more number to that line, and you can always go back and take one number from it. You could have 10 trillion, 240,000, you know, you can add number and numbers and numbers, and you can always take one from it. Or you can say that on the positive, and you can add one more to it. It stretches into infinity. So we grasp a little bit with a number line the idea of God. One of his qualities is he is infinite, there are no limits to His power. There are no limits to His wisdom. There are no limits to almost every attribute that He has. There's no limits to His love. And so, God is an infinite God. Another illustration that I thought about giving with to you today is space. And space has no beginning, and space has no end. In fact, The astronomers tell us that space is continually expanding. It's growing larger and larger. And the other night I was watching something on one of the television channels, and they were talking about how that there are billions of galaxies, not billions of planets. There are billions of galaxies. Now, you know 
what a galaxy is, many planets and stars and suns put together. Billions of them. Our telescopes have reached far, far into space, but we've never reached the limits of space. After we got to where we could not any longer multiply the numbers, we started, multi we started measuring space by light years. How far will a beam of life, light at 185,000 miles per second, and then you calculate how many miles it will go in a year at that speed, and you call that a light year. And now we're multiplying millions of light years. So it's incalculable. That's space. I remind you that God is the creator of that space. And as the creator, he's greater than the space. He's greater than the numbers on the number line. I want you to get the idea that we serve a great, great God, a God so infinite, so great. Our minds cannot comprehend. We cannot even begin to comprehend the greatness of God. In Psalm 90 and 2, it says that he exists from everlasting to everlasting, so he's infinite in his duration. His duration, how long he has existed. He is infinite in duration from everlasting to everlasting, from eternity to eternity. God exists. He exists outside of time. God doesn't live in time as we do. We're always checking our watches. We're always thinking about how many years old we are. We talk about the church living or existing for 53 years. But you see, God is outside of time. God is eternal. So he's infinite in his duration. There never was a time he did not exist. There never will be a time when he does not exist future. It stretches the mind, doesn't it? And in Revelation 19 and 6, it says, The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And it calls him omnipotent. Omni, all, potent, power, all power. God has all power, infinite in power. Psalm 115 and 3, we read it, he is sovereign. He does what he wills. But he doesn't do what he wills capriciously. He doesn't do it if it's wrong. He is a righteous God and a holy God. And so he's not just doing anything that he wants. He's doing anything that is right and holy that he desires to do. He is infinite in his power, a being with power so vast that he could speak when there was nothing else in existence in the entire universe. And in the beginning, God spoke. And when he spoke in the beginning, he created the word bara from nothing. He created this universe out of nothing. Pretty simple. The reason he created it out of nothing, there wasn't anything to create it out of in the beginning. There were no atoms, no molecules, no elements. There was no nothing. And God spoke. Imagine the power of that, that speech. And the universe came into being as we know it today. The greatest miracle in all of history is the miracle of the creation. That an almighty God could speak and this world, worlds, came in 
to being. He's infinite in his existence, his duration. He is infinite in his power, and he's infinite in his knowledge and wisdom. Turn with me quickly, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. And it's a wonderful chapter that we recently had a Wednesday night Bible study on, Isaiah 40 and 28. Hast thou not known? Have you not heard that the everlasting God, you see, there's his everlasting existence, his eternality. Have you not heard that the everlasting eternal God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, there's his power, that he fainteth not, and he's neither, neither is he weary, and there is no searching of his understanding. You can never search out and discover all of his wisdom and his understanding. Do you get the idea that our God is a great God as you read these phrases from the Scripture? My, we should have sung, Jim, and I didn't think to tell you, we should have sung How Great Thou Art, shouldn't we? My, what a God we serve. His wisdom and knowledge, His omniscience, all knowledge, is infinite. He knows everything. In fact, let me share with you another verse. Go over to Psalm 139, if you will. And this is really an interesting verse here. Psalm 139 and verse 1. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. He searched us. And he's known us. He knows everything about you. Jesus said he knows the number of hairs that are on your head. Also, Jesus said if a sparrow, about as insignificant a little being as there is, if a sparrow falls to the ground, that the heavenly Father knows about that. There's nothing. I mean, get that back in your mind like you understood it as a child in your childhood. There is nothing that God doesn't know. There is nothing that God cannot do. God exists forever, infinite in duration, infinite in power, infinite in knowledge and wisdom, omniscient. But go to verse 2. It says, Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. You know what God knows in His vast store of, of knowledge? He knows when you sit down, and He knows when you stand up. Isn't that amazing? If you sit down, heaven knows about it. If you stand up, God knows about it. There's nothing that God doesn't know. And then He says, Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. So where is heaven? How many light years is heaven away from us? I have no idea, but I know this, that God knows what I'm thinking what a thought. What a thought. He knows what you're thinking. God knows if I'm sitting down, standing up, He knows my thoughts. He searched me. He knows all about me. He even knows the motive for why I do what I do. And so Paul, writing in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, he just is overwhelmed as I am, as I try to talk to you about it. And here's what Paul says. He says, oh, the depths of wisdom and understanding uh, and knowledge of God. Oh, the depths of the wisdom and knowledge of Almighty God. And he doesn't even try to conclude it. He just acknowledges it. God is so great, we can't comprehend Him. 
his knowledge and wisdom, of course, used to design the universe. And last week, I feebly attempted to try to describe to you some wonderful things about God's design in the universe. For example, I use the illustration of my lungs. My lungs were made for the air on this planet. And if you transport me to Mars or Venus, my lungs can't handle that atmosphere. I would die almost immediately. So I have to wear a spacesuit if I go there. And God made the atmosphere for my lungs, and he made my lungs for this atmosphere. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? It's not just one that he made me with lungs, but he made a whole atmosphere for it. Right proportion of oxygen. Put too much oxygen in, in the air and burns up your lungs. Not enough, you're going to die. We talked about the seas and the oceans. 70% of the surface of this planet are, is water. And that water absorbs the heat and cools the atmosphere over the water in, in the hot weather. And in the cold weather, that water absorbs the heat from the sun, and it warms the atmosphere. The, the oceans moderate the temperature, the climate of the entire globe, and were it not for them, we would burn up in hot weather, and we would freeze to death in cold weather. You think that just happened? That's why I tell you, it takes more faith to be an unbeliever than it does to be a believer. The human brain, I was reading about it this week because I've often wondered about mine, and I have other people who write me letters and wonder about it as well, but I was reading about the brain, and here's the miracle of the brain. It's the most sophisticated computer ever built. The most sophisticated man-made computers are not even close. The brain has, listen to this, 100 million billion connections. In your brain, 100 million billion connections designed by our God. God is infinite. Now, five years from now, if somebody says to you, what do you think God is like? I hope you can remember this sermon with only two points in it. God is infinite. There's no limits. You can't. He, he is limited in his existence, his endurance. He's limited in his power, unlimited in his power, unlimited in his knowledge and his wisdom. He is like, no, he's not like anything. I was going to say he was like space, but no, he made space. He's great. He's infinite. He's infinite, and we are finite. In other words, as somebody said today, he is God and you're not. We can't even begin to compare ourselves, even though we're made in his image. We're just a tiny figment of that image, are we not? The second thing I want you to know about God is that he's personal. And so he is the infinite, personal God. Now, the description I've given, I hope, has made him so big, so wonderful, so great, so powerful, that uh, 
Maybe you couldn't conceive of him as being a person. What do I mean he is personal? Well, I mean, first of all, that he's not like the force in Star Wars. Star Wars is always the force. But the force is not a person. It's a thing. It's an impersonal. It's like gravity. Gravity is a powerful, powerful thing. But gravity is not personal. It operates the same everywhere, no matter who. Gravity is impersonal or electricity, powerful, powerful force, impersonal though. Magnetism, the same thing. All these are forces, but they're not personal. God, though, has all the characteristics of personhood. And that's why the Bible says we are made in his image. I look in the mirror, I see my image. My image reflects that mirror. And in the same way, I, as a human, reflect certain characteristics of God himself. And so what are those characteristics of personhood? Well, one God has a mind. He thinks like we do, only obviously at a higher level. He has emotions. He feels. He loves. God so loved the world that he gave his son. God is angry with the wicked every day, the Bible says in the book of Psalms. So God has a will. He can step back and make a rational choice. He acts. He has mind, emotion, and will. He thinks, he feels, he acts. In that, he's like a person, or we're like him. He also communicates. In fact, our Bible here is the book of his communication to us. This is like he had made one long speech through prophets who wrote down his words by inspiration. But this is the Word of God. And over and over and over it said, and God said in the Bible. Or it says, the Word of the Lord came to me. So over and over, a couple of thousand times, it refers to God speaking. You know, speech is one of the miracles of humanity that we don't think much about. Somebody wrote it like this. Speech is the barrier that the evolutionist cannot cross ever. Speech is the barrier that the evolutionist can never cross. Oh, they can train a dolphin to grunt, and they can train a, you know, animal to make certain sounds or something, but they don't really communicate. It's a conditioned reflex, more or less. Only human beings of all the creatures on the earth can speak. We have the capacity the God-given capacity where we can express a thought with sounds that we can make. Is that not miraculous? I can express a thought by saying or making a sound, and God equipped me to be able to do that. And other than human beings, there's no one in this universe that can offer speech except the one who made us and the one who made speech, Almighty God. So he is personal. Now, 
many theologians have said through the years that the single greatest verse in the Bible is found in the first chapter of the book of John. Would you turn there? John chapter 1. And I don't know if it's the greatest verse or not, but theologically it's one of the greatest verses. John chapter 1, that's verse 14. The Word, capitalized, referring to Jesus Christ, the Word was made flesh. That's Christmas time. That's the incarnation. The Word was made flesh, and He came and dwelt among us. He lived here for 33 years. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I'm making the point to you that God is infinite, and the second point is that God is personal. And how can we ever identify with a God who exists forever, has all power, and has all wisdom and knowledge? Here's how you can identify with God. You do it through Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus to make Himself personal to you and me, so we can identify with God, but only through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, through that miracle of the virgin birth, God became a man. The Word was made flesh, and He dwelt among us. He lived here, and He got hungry. I can identify with that. I go home after church, and I'll probably say, I'm starved to death. And my wife will say, oh, you're like Esau. He thought he was going to die if he didn't get a meal in five minutes, you know. You're not going to die. I'm not even being close to it, but I'm starving to death. I'm always hungry. And Jesus thirsted. He thirsted. And he was tempted, like we're tempted. And... The Lord Jesus Christ wept, and He hurt. He was in excruciating pain at the cross, but He was in pain during His life. He knew what it was to be disappointed. You and I have all experienced disappointment. He knew what it was to go to a wedding and celebrate someone's marriage. He knew what it was to even get down as the God, the maker of the universe, and wash the dirty feet of the people who were his followers. So why did he do this? So we can identify with him. He's not God far, far, far away. He is God like me, who felt the same feelings and experienced the same experiences as I have in my life. I've told this story before, but I want to hear it again. And so there was a little boy one night, and the little boy was horribly afraid because there was this huge thunderstorm going on. Lightning was flashing, and thunder was crashing, and the rain was pummeling the windows, and he could hear it pouring down the roof, and he was so afraid. He was just terrified. And he hollered out, Daddy! I'm afraid. Come here. And his daddy didn't want to get up, and he was warm and comfortable in his bed. And so he hollered to the little boy, and he said, well, son, 
it's all right. Don't be afraid. You know, God is with you there right now. And the little boy's reply was just precious. He said, I know he is, Daddy, but I want someone with a skin face. Ah, I want someone with a skin face. And you know what? I can describe to you the theology of God and His eternality, His power, His wisdom, and His knowledge, but we need somebody with a skin face, don't we? We need a God that we can approach. We need a God that we can identify with. And so, Jesus Christ, hear me, Jesus Christ is God with a skin face. Everything about God was true in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you worship Jesus, you are worshiping the God of all eternity, our lovely Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to know what God is like? Look to Jesus. In Him dwell all the fullness of the Godhead, that's the Trinity. In Him dwell all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In one human body, everything that God is or ever will be is encapsulated. He's there. You want to know what God is like? Look to Jesus. You're in a situation of some kind. What would God do? And you wonder, what does the Lord want me to do? Look to Jesus Christ. He'll help you make that decision. Whatever you, you find in the Gospels that Jesus would have done, that's what we do. How would Jesus comport himself? How would Jesus act in a given situation? That's what God, that's how we know what God would do. Do you wonder if God loves you? You look at Jesus Christ to find the love of God. Do you want to know wisdom? You look to Jesus Christ, who is the source of all wisdom, the Bible tells us. Understand something today, folks. Jesus Christ is more than a historical figure. He is the living God, the God incarnate who came to this earth. We admire Washington. We respect great leaders of the past. We respect and admire them, but we worship Jesus Christ because He's the only one who ever could say, I am God. He's more, so much more than any other human being. Now, let me do a real quick application of all three messages now. If you know God, I started out saying it's important to not know about God, but to know God. If you know God, it'll give you life. It'll give your life meaning and purpose. In fact, it's the only way to have meaning and purpose. I heard a man one time say, good preaching always ends up with a so what. The preacher's got to give the people a so what. Okay, I've preached three weeks on God. So what? You know what the so what is? That knowing God is the way to have life and meaning and purpose. 
We've been talking about the ultimate questions as I preach through Genesis. Why are we here? What is our purpose? I hope you've been thinking about those ultimate questions. They're so vitally important to life. And you know what? The primary purpose of my life ought to be to know God. This ought to be the primary purpose for me, the primary reason that I live. I heard Vince, and I don't often use illustrations of people in the congregation, but it was so meaningful when I heard all those people giving a testimony. This man puts the Lord first, family second, and his FBI career third. And, and people were saying that, that I, I'm not even sure if they understood it, if they were really Christians. But that stood out. Now, that's the priority for me, and it's the priority for you. The pursuit of God in your life is the most important thing in your life. Now, the other ultimate question is, is there a God? And I've been trying to establish that with you. But evolution, if you go to a public school in America, you're going to be taught the theory of evolution. I still call it the theory because it can't be proven. And you're going to be taught that man evolved upward from a lower form of life, and we're here, but there's no God who had his hand in creation. There's no God that's directing this whole scheme of things. Or you may be taught the Big Bang, and we talked about that last week. Where did the stuff that banged come from? The Big Bang. You know what? All of those will leave you without any purpose and without any meaning if you, if you buy into that. And the reason it will is because uh, if you buy into those, those things, they're impersonal. The Big Bang is impersonal. Evolution is impersonal. Something happened mechanically, and man was produced as a result of it. And do you know, we have this epidemic this morning, an epidemic in America and in Western culture today of despair and of hopelessness, drug addiction. Why would people put things in their mouth that takes their brain away? Why would anybody risk taking a pill that you didn't absolutely know where it came from, and yet 100,000 people plus died from fentanyl last year? Why would, what would motivate them to put that in their mouth? A sense of despair that I've got nothing really meaningful to live for, a lack of purpose in life. Why is it that we have an epidemic of suicide, people ending their lives? There's nothing left to live for. Thoreau said 200 years ago, the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation they go to the grave with the song still in them. They go to their grave and the song is still in them. In other words, they never did achieve the joy and satisfaction and purpose that God made them for. Listen to me. I wrote my final statement to you, and I want you to read it with me. If there is a God, a personal being, and we 
of course, believe there is. Who fashioned me like unto himself, who gives me life and a soul and directions and commands to obey, then my life will have purpose and direction and meaning and significance. But the world's looking for it in all the wrong places. And so he made you, and he wants you today, if you've never done so, to submit your life to him, to do to his will, but not just to sit in a church every Sunday and say, I submitted to him. It's not submission in here that counts. It's submission that will carry you when you get outside, that you'll live every day, and you'll wake up every morning, and you'll say, what does God want me to do today? How does God want me to interact with people. How, how does God want, what, what does he, would he have me do today? And when we start living like that, you won't have to ask anybody what's the meaning or purpose of life. You won't be tempted to take a pill to get high from somebody you don't know. You won't ever think about taking your life. To get up every day and say, I'm accountable to him and I want to please him because he poured out his blood on the cross for my sins. And in doing that, I find peace and joy and satisfaction and relationship and meaning and significance. Everything the world's looking for, it's in him. I point you to Jesus God Almighty in human flesh. Bow your head with me, please.